where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. Lizzie, how are you doing in this last gasp of August? I'm good. Um, I'm moving in like less than a week, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be living with my friend who yes. I sort of mentioned in the Bridget episode because she's Irish. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and she helped me with Irish pronunciations. So yes. shout out to Kathy. Yes, Kathy. Very excited about it. And how are you? I am very stressed out right now because um, similar to Lizzie, I am also moving, but different from Lizzie, I am moving tomorrow. So I have been packing and I am getting ready to take all my stuff back to school and haul it up four flights of stairs. And I am not looking forward to it. I- oh, I also have to haul up things up four flights of oh stairs. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, there are some dorms with elevators, but mine is not one of them, so. Old buildings. Yeah. Um, and I'm very excited to go back to school, but I'm really not excited for the moving part of going back to school, and I'm really stressed about forgetting things, so I've just been like, and also my room is a mess right now because I'm packing everything, and I have all sorts of like packing. It's just a detritus. stressful time. Yeah, it's really stressful, so that's where I'm at right now, but. I am excited to go back to school. By the time this airs, we will be moved. We will be all settled in. It'll be great. Yeah. Last night I was complaining. Location. Last night I was complaining about packing on my Instagram story, and my friend was like, "Wait till you start unpacking." I was like, "Oh my gosh, it never ends." So, but it will end. There is an end. It's just not, not now. Not (laughs) not for a few days. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Um, But Lizzie. This is our themed episode for September, but it's also, because we're not doing a themed episode in October, our Halloween-themed episode. So who are we talking about? So today our theme is Japanese yokai, who we talked about a little bit in a previous episode, the Oiwa episode, Mm -hmm. but now we're going to go more in-depth about some yokai ladies. Yes, very excited. They're very scary. So what is a yokai? The word yokai is hard to define simply, even among scholars. They are essentially strange or supernatural occurrences or the creature or force that caused the occurrence. Katsuhiko Komatsu, who wrote the book An Introduction to Yokai Culture, defines yokai broadly as creatures, presences, or phenomena that could be described as mysterious or eerie. The problem with this definition, according to him, is that it's so broad that it could apply to any creatures or phenomena of any culture, whereas the concept of yokai is specific to Japanese culture. Mm. Interesting, actually. That's really interesting. Yeah. Komatsu thus divides the concept of yokai into three separate domains. Yokai as incidents or phenomena, yokai as creatures or entities, and yokai as depictions. The word yokai can refer to a supernatural incident that can't be easily explained, but can also refer to the entity that causes the event. For example, the sound of a phantom orchestra that recedes as the listener approaches is called tanuki payashi, and the entity that causes the phenomenon is called a tanuki. Wow. 
That's very scary, very awesome, and very interesting. So before the Edo period, which lasted from 1603 to 1868, it was more common for yokai to be conceived as phenomena, but then there began to be a shift where more yokai were reimagined as entities. Hmm. Yeah, so there began to be a tradition of depictions of yokai. Um, so that began in the medieval period where artists would create illustrations of various yokai, which would then be spread. And then these representations often became fixed images among the people, which was very important for yokai culture, as it also increased the number of yokai in the collective consciousness of Japanese people. Oh. It also increased the domains that yokai were popularized in. At first, there were a large amount of orally transmitted stories. A lot of them were local. And soon there were books about yokai featuring woodblock prints, as well as toys and games, and design motifs used on kimono, folding screens, in-room carrying cases, and other everyday items. Wow. Yeah. So yokai began to be more of a popular cultural thing mm -hmm. rather than just stories. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, so they're sort of like, instead of just being something that were feared, I mean, you're celebrating them, right? Because you're putting them in your house. You're putting depictions of them in your yeah, house. Yeah. In a way they were, in a way they were feared and in a way they were for like entertainment as mm -hmm. well. So yokai have a long history in Japanese culture, memory, and folklore. In some of the earliest texts with references to yokai, there were themes of legendary sorcerers and warriors who were famous for subduing yokai. For example, there's a story of the god Susano, who was the younger brother of the sun goddess, Amaterasu, mm -hmm. defeating a dragon known as Yamato no Orochi. Yokai have been a continual part of Japanese folklore, history, art, literature, and popular culture. And in modern day, they are frequently depicted in manga, anime, and in movies. Mm -hmm. So if you've, ever, if you've ever seen a Studio Ghibli movie, they appear in several of them. For example, in Spirited Away, My Neighbor Totoro, and Princess Mononoke. Have you seen any of those? I have not seen any of those. Those are not in my limited list of Studio Ghibli movies I've seen, tragically. Well, you I should. know, I need to, but I haven't. And I must be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so the word Mononoke, from the titular character of Princess Mononoke, is another word for yokai which was more commonly used before scholarly research popularized the term yokai. Really? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. There were many different terms that were used through different periods mm -hmm. before yokai scholarship began to be, like, centralized and, like, before it began to be a topic of research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so an example of a Ghibli character who was directly influenced by a yokai is the character Yubaba from Spirited Away, who was a terrifying old woman who can shapeshift. Mm -hmm. She was influenced by the yokai Yamauba, who is also a terrifying crone figure, who we'll talk about later in the episode. Indeed. Yes, you're going to be mentioning her. Mm -hmm. And so today, in honor of Halloween and spooky season generally, we will be telling you about eight female yokai figures. Yeah. So do you want to start us I'd off? I'd love to start us off. So the first woman we're going to talk about today is a woman that I think is relatively well-known, even outside of Japan, um, if you're interested in like urban legends and general scary stories from around the world, which I am, and I had heard of her before. Um, and her name is Kuchisake Ona, who I believe we briefly mentioned in the Oyo episode as well. Um, we, yeah, yeah, you mentioned her, but I don't think it was by name, I think it was just by her story. Yeah, and so her name translates to the slit-mouthed woman, and that is... A pretty good summary of like the sort of scary legend ideas behind her. She's basically a female spirit whose mouth has been slashed from ear to ear. Sort of like the Joker, basically, uh, for a Western mm -hmm. reference. 
and the legend associated with her goes as follows. She'll approach people in the dark wearing a mask and ask them if they think she's beautiful. If they answer yes, she'll remove her mask to reveal her slit mouth and ask, how about now? If they say no or react badly, she will slash them from ear to ear, giving them a copy of her own wound. And if they say yes, she will leave them for now, but then follow them home later that night and kill them. Ah, okay. So really not an easy way to win here. Yeah, now you can't How win. Because if you say yes, it's like, oh, really? Yeah, she's like, no. now do you think I've heard? Yeah. Um, and it's said you can defeat her by giving her a non-committal answer, like, you know, like, I don't know, or eh, or like, oh, you're average or whatever, um, or a confusing <laughs> answer, or by throwing money or hard candy at her for, to distract her while you run away. So basically, that's the way, that's the secret to escaping her if she approaches you. Just throw some money. That'd be a really good hustle, honestly. Like, pretend to be her, and then people will throw money at you. Oh my you. gosh, that's such a funny idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so basically, either you have to, like, control your reactions enough that, like, you can just be like, eh, when you see her face. Which, like, if you know what's coming, like, maybe. Um, or you can just, like, distract her by throwing something. Um, which is actually kind of similar to things we discussed in our vampiric woman episode which is that oftentimes it said you can distract vampires by throwing gra- like rice or pearls or beads on the ground oh yeah and then they like get all distracted like Ooh, yeah because you have they have to count them right because they're into yeah. counting they can't resist counting items yeah. um so she is believed to be potentially a spirit of a woman who was killed in a violent banner either by an abusive husband or through a conquering army there is one particular story from the Heian period of Japan, which involves a samurai with a very beautiful wife who was open to attention from any man. So she was, like, super flirty. Of course. And her husband found out she was unfaithful and decided to punish her by mutilating her face. And supposedly... Yep. Classic. Very oiwa. Yeah, actually. Supposedly, when he did this, he asked her, who will think you're beautiful now? And now she has to roam around wondering who's going to find her beautiful. Yeah. So, and then during the Edo period, it was believed that she might be... So, yeah, this is like an old legend. Yeah, the Heian period was very long ago. Yeah, and so then during the Edo period, it was believed that she might be a kitsune, which is a fox spirit from Japanese folklore with Mm -hmm. nine tails. It's said to be very clever and able to shapeshift into human form. And interestingly enough, um, the legends about her came back into prominence in like the 1970s when there was a big panic about her there was basically it was said that there was a woman who was attacking children um in the manner described in the legend and children were even forced to stay inside after school to prevent them from being hurt um and then this died down when she was supposedly hit by a car and died and there's like a coroner's report that was like they found a body of a woman whose like mouth was slit like in the story oh wow um but the legends do still persist to this day she is a very popular urban legend so I feel like she'd be really good in COVID times yeah. because of the mask. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, also, like, mask wearing masks in general is more common in, like, Eastern yeah. Asia, even pre-COVID. Like, um, yeah. that was more of a thing. But, like, especially now when everyone's wearing a mask, so everyone should still be wearing a mask because COVID is not gone, yep. even though people are vaccinated. Um, she <laughs> could, you could just think she's like any woman and be like, oh yeah, you're pretty. And then she'll be like, haha. And you'll be like, oh man, I forgot about that one. Cause now everyone's wearing a mask. So. Exactly. Yeah. I think she's very fun. Yeah. Though. And I mean, I think that, you know, she is obviously very scary. Like 
if that happened to me and I was like walking the street at night, like that would be very scary. Um, but also, I mean, she is kind of a tragic figure. Definitely. I mean, the version where she was a flirty woman who got punished by her husband. Yeah, definitely. Like, and now... Like, the whole... I mean, a lot of urban legends and, like, folklore revolves around, like, you know, punishing women who are promiscuous mm-hmm. and, like, warning tales of, like, if you do this, you will be punished. Mm-hmm. But in a way, I feel like this sort of gives her more agency because this is like, oh, this bad thing happened to her. Now she's getting revenge, right? Man, I love a revenge story. You know, it's not like, oh, this woman was forced to do this um, due to her vanity or promiscuity or whatever. It's like she was hurt by her husband and now she takes that out on other people. Does she mostly prey on men or is it just anyone? I, it doesn't. It's not clear. Like, it doesn't say specifically. Um Okay. I mean, due to, like, heteronormativity, one would expect that she generally approaches men. But if it's not actually said, then maybe yeah, not. I don't know. But yeah, I think she's really interesting. And, I mean, she's a great classic, like, urban legend that it actually has a lot yeah, older she's roots. Yeah, she's great. Definitely pretty scary. But, mm-hmm. yeah. I wish her the best, too. So Me too. Yeah. All right, Lizzie, who do we have next? Next, we have the Nikusui, who are of empiric yokai that appear in the form of a young, beautiful woman and hunt on mountain roads late at night. Ooh. Their name means meat sucker, <laughs> referring to the way in which they kill their victims. Wow. So typically, the Nikusui prey on young men traveling alone at night. Mm-hmm. She will appear to the men and begin flirting with them and asking them to lend her their lantern. Interesting. When she gets close enough, she snuffs out the light, then begins to feed on her victim, sucking the flesh from their bodies and only leaving their skin and bones. Wow. That's awesome. Which seems like a really horrible way to die. I mean, you're just basically like a skin bag. That's kind of horrifying. That is definitely scary. Yeah. They can appear in men's bedrooms later oh, night Oh, that's, well. so <laughs> that's so much worse. That's so much worse. Where they will seduce them in order to weaken them before feeding on their flesh. Mm -hmm. Their legend is local to the mountains in between the Mie and Wakayama prefectures in the south of the Japanese island of Honshu, where villagers will try to avoid walking at night without a spare light source. And those who had to journey across the mountain roads at night would also bring burning coals so that if a nikusui steals their lantern, they can protect themselves by throwing hot coals at her. Well, There is a legend of a hunter named Genzo, who was hunting on Mount Hatinashi late at night when a beautiful young woman appeared to him and asked to borrow his lantern. Genzo was suspicious of her, so he threatened her with his rifle, and she fled. Interesting. Later that night, Genzo came across a terrifying monster over six meters tall who rushed at him. Oh my gosh. So he shot him with the rifle. The monster died, and so Genzo went to investigate its true form, which was a bleached white skeleton inside a loose bag of skin with no meat at all. Whoa. So I guess the the thing here is, like, she must have made a monster out of one of her victims and then had it attack Genzo. Apparently so, yeah. Which is maybe even more terrifying. Oh my god. I mean, there's a lot I mean, of... Like a six meter tall, yeah. fl- like, skin bag. I would just, like, die or something. I don't know. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's good he had a rifle. I would definitely die if that was me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so first of all, I have a quick question, which is that, do you know what color clothes she wears? 
No. Okay. Because that sounds like very woman in white-ish. It does kind of. But no, I don't think that it's no. Yeah. At least not from what yeah, I Yeah, it reminds me a lot of like modern hitchhiker myths where you see like a beautiful woman on the side of the road and then like you stop to pick her up and then she like disappears or you die or something like, you know, um, except yeah. obviously and then from a time period before a terrifying monster. Or, yeah. True. Yeah. Just like be safe while you cross the mountain. Or don't cross the mountains at night, I think is also definitely a big moral because like that's dangerous. Even without like terrifying meat sucking monsters, like that is dangerous. Yeah. But also, so the Nikusoi acts as a cautionary tale, again, like which warns young men against fraternizing with strange women, mm-hmm. as well as the dangers of overindulging in sexual activity. Interesting. So there was a belief in a disease called jinkyo, which translates to kidney emptiness, where it was believed that if a man overindulged in sexual activity, he would lose his virility and become weak and anxious, and it could also lead to death. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so thus, promiscuity was discouraged not only for social reasons, but also for health reasons. Mm And so the Nikusoi uh, represented the dangers of men acting on their sexual urges, as well as the dangers of beautiful young women who would drain a young man's life force, similar to the way that Nikusoi snuffs out the light in the lantern. Yeah, definitely. That is so interesting. Um, I mean, we see, mm-hmm. like, a lot of these stories of, like, women's, evil women seductresses are, like, morals against, like, sexual activity and stuff. In a mm-hmm. way, but I just think it's very interesting that there's the concept of like losing one's virility if one has engages in too much sexual intercourse. Um, I know it's which is definitely a very common idea uh, for like you know pro celibacy people and like from like yeah that it's healthier to yeah. have sex less often yeah and like um, especially like older times like you know medieval like uh, times yes yeah, like your life force. Yeah. You didn't want to, yep, yeah. I'm not going into detail. <laughs> okay, yeah. But yeah, I just think that's really interesting. The former peer sex educator in me is very fascinated by this concept. Um, ah, yes. <laughs> and like, basically, in general, like, the idea of stigma around sex and how that is perpetrated through popular culture and stories. Definitely. Very interesting. It is really interesting. Yeah. That's that's the Nikusui. Who's next? Yeah, so sort of... On, in a similarish note, um, my next lady is the Ubume, who is a spirit associated with women who have died in childbirth or during pregnancy. So if a woman okay. dies during, before, or just after childbirth, her connection to a child can prevent her from resting peacefully after death, and then she will become an Ubume. Oh, because like if the child survives and she dies, there's some sort of weird thing? Yeah, or? so like... It's sort of like, you know, the idea of, unf- I think, sort of the idea of unfinished business and how that keeps ghosts on Earth and spirits on Earth in the general idea of ghosts, mm-hmm. except this is specifically um, for, you know, children and women who died in childbirth. What if she dies and the child dies? Funny you should ask that. Oh, So okay. um, they can appear in many forms. They often appear on dark, rainy nights, of course. And they can appear as a woman carrying a baby, a pregnant woman, or a bloody corpse of a woman carrying an underdeveloped fetus. Oh, okay. And so these differences in appearance relate to various burial traditions throughout different regions of Japan. So in some regions, when pregnant women die, the unborn fetuses are kept inside them on burials. And in other regions, they are cut out and laid next to the woman. 
Okay. And similar customs exist for women and babies who died together in birth or women who died giving birth to stillborn babies. So, woman being buried next to the baby. And who does she haunt? Or So, in the situation of if the woman dies and the child survives, they will wander around where they died and they will be trying to take care of the child or looking for people to take care of the child in ways that they no longer can. So this might involve the spirits trying to purchase food or clothes for the children, sometimes entering the stores or homes to do so, or leading humans to the places where their children have been hidden in order to get someone to care for them. Well, that is really sad and tragic. However, they take on a darker form when both the mother and child have died. In one popular legend, if they have both died, an ubume can often appear holding her dead child. She will then hand the bundle off to a helpful living stranger, but unfortunately for these people, the bundle will grow heavier and heavier when she leaves, eventually crushing them to death. Wow. What if they just dropped it? I don't know. Maybe there's like, they can't drop it or something. I don't know. Okay. Um, other stories say also that the baby just turns out to be a rock, which I think those are like less scary stories, which is like, oh, this woman gives me their baby and then it turns into a rock. And that's, like, the end of the story, where it's just, like, kind of weird and a little spooky and unnatural, as opposed to, like, dying. Makes me wonder how often someone would just give you a baby. Yeah, I mean, I personally, like, if I was someone with a baby, I wouldn't, like, give my baby to a stranger. Um, Probably, but also I've never had a child before, so maybe, like, I mean, what am I to say that, like, that's something someone does or doesn't do? Because, like, maybe I'll be in a situation where I really need to give my baby to someone and, like, do something. I don't know. I don't know how it all works. It makes you think. This is, like, pre, like, baby Bjorn days, like, I guess, where you have, like, a little thing to, like, hold your baby to you while your hands are free. I guess yeah. so. Well, I have no idea what the baby Bjorn technology has been like <laughs> throughout history. True. So, according to Wikipedia, ubume appear in bloodstained clothes because during the feudal period of Japan, the woman's main role was to reproduce, and so if a woman failed to do so or died in childbirth, she was said to fall into hell with a pond of blood. Wow. Well, that's really dark. The name Ubume generally translates to, quote, women in late pregnancy, but it does not have a standardized spelling and then therefore can be written with characters that refer to a bird's name or the phrase child-snatching bird. Cool. She has therefore been connected to the yokai Ubume Tori, a giant bird that smears poisonous blood or milk on the clothing of children left out in clotheslines at night, causing those who wear them to become sick. And they've also been said to snatch children from their mothers. The birds? Yes, the birds. Giant birds. Well, seems very like connected, yeah. all all that. Maybe some merging of stories yeah. between them, mm-hmm. so they're similar names. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's clear that both these spirits relate to children and mm-hmm. um, potentially motherhood and like a sort of corruption of motherhood in a way. And I mean, I don't really know the origins of the stork story, but this sort of feels like a weird like corruption yeah, of the stork idea kind of you know yeah. like i don't know where that comes from or where it's most popularized if that's like really a thing in japan but like definitely i feel like there's some sort of connection there babies and birds the idea of like a bird giving you a baby yeah. or taking away a baby yeah. and maybe that's actually common i don't know among different places yeah and so her story is said to result from changing attitudes about women and motherhood from feudal japan as well that placed emphasis on the child as separate from the mother and more important. So women were seen as primarily vessels for the children and nothing more significant than that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so therefore women who died in late pregnancy or gave birth to stillborn children were considered sinful or like they were like a failure, a failure of, of a woman purpose. and their purpose and received the blame for these deaths and then therefore fell into a hell with a pond full of blood. I do think it's interesting the way that like women who die in childbirth, like the way they're conceived through different places. Like I think we talked about I think it was, it was there was the uh Nor Norse like Viking age that if a woman dies in childbirth, she's like really honored. Like that's a really yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, like, a sacrifice to the for the good of the community. Yeah. Like, it's viewed as noble. Yeah. Was that... I don't know if it was Norse mythology. It makes sense. I'm thinking, like, of Sparta, in which, like, women only got their names on their gravestones if they died in childbirth. Oh, I know what we're thinking wow. of. We're thinking of the Aztecs. Um, and in the way... Oh, yeah, because uh, I talk about in the Tlaxotiotla episode, like, how... Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Like... War oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. childbirth. Because warriors were really celebrated, and then women who died in childbirth are also celebrated in a similar yeah, way. As, like, where it's like you die for your society. Yeah, and yeah. like women and ch- giving birth were also seen as like fighting a battle. I mean, it's a very brave thing to do in the times before modern medicine. Yeah, I mean, childbirth is where you could scary. honestly just die. Yeah. Childbirth is terrifying. I mean, even now it's scary, yeah. even though it's less like less of a mortality mm-hmm. rate. Yeah, and then there are, like, specific cultures where, like, the blame is placed on the woman for all sorts, pretty much any aspect of the baby is placed on the woman. Obviously, there are all sorts of jokes about Henry VIII, who's, like, blames Anne Boleyn for not giving him a son when it's, like, technically him with the XY chromosome who determines the gender of the baby or the sex of the baby, quote unquote. I doubt they knew that. I mean, they didn't know that, but, like, it's ironic, right? Like that that's something that like the woman doesn't have control over in this situation. True. Um and but and I mean, obviously nobody ever has control over that. Yeah. Um I mean, nobody has control over what their body does during pregnancy. Yeah, but in the end like, nobody wants their baby to die. <laughs> yeah. But in the end, like women who are pregnant are seen as in like the one connected to the baby and like the person who impregnated them is not seen is connected to them in the same way and so therefore whatever happens with the baby is put on the woman less so than the person who impregnated them which is once again very scary to be a woman in a place where your whole thing is childbirth and if you fail at that Mm -hmm. you're like scary and you turn into yeah and wasn't there something about um, with the Pontiana, but women who died in childbirth? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The Pontiana was often. I remember if it was always a woman who died during childbirth, or that was just some interpretations. Yeah. But yeah, she was also a woman who died during childbirth. Mm-hmm. But I feel like her story was less tragic. Maybe it's because she was more revenge yeah. seeking. Yeah, and this woman, but like it was still sad. Yeah, she seems a lot more sad than like really seeking revenge, but like. Except for the heavy baby part, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like the Potianat's whole thing was, like, take care of women who are pregnant. Yeah. Whereas the Ubume's thing is, like, women's whole Better not die while you're pregnant, is... or else this will happen to you. Sort of the, the moral yeah. lesson we're getting here. Although, you know what, that could also be a lesson from the Ubume. Like, don't let your women die during pregnancy. Yeah, that is true. Take care of but them. But there is, like, less punishment, I think, involved in general. Like, it's like, oh, even when she's dead, she's caring for the child. You know what I mean? It's kind of sad. Like, I mean, it also really, like, affirms that her whole goal is to be a mother and to give birth. That, like, even after she dies and is a spirit, 
she her whole thing is like but the baby must be taken care of Mm -hmm. it's it's just it's a pretty sad view of or like life and unlife and stuff you know very okay so the next lady also has um two different ways to interpret her name actually really interestingly yeah so the next lady is the jorogumu who are spiders who can turn into beautiful women oh okay (laughs) so yeah the two different ways to spell jorogumu using kanji one of them translates to finding bride or entangling newlywed woman and one of them translates to whore spider whore yes okay well interesting (laughs) very So, the word jorogumo can also refer to a species of spider, which in English is called the golden orb weaver. I've heard of that one. Which I think, oh really? I think they're just in Japan. Or that's what I was reading about it. They aren't in Hokkaido, but they're in the other three islands. I think they, like, of Japan. have a special way of building, like, webs, which is why I've heard of them. I don't know. Okay. I'm not a huge spider fan, but, like, apparently... I'm not either. Apparently I'm an expert, so I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so they're known for their vivid colors and strong webs. Mm-hmm. So that seems like you're right. And they're, and the yokai is also known for the havoc that it wreaks upon young men. Mm. So the jorogumo tends to live as a spider, but can turn into a beautiful woman at will. When a jorogumo reaches 400 years of age, it develops magical powers and begins to feed on humans rather than just insects. Interesting. They see humans as nothing more than insects to feed upon. And they shapeshift in order to lure young men who are looking for love. Huh. That's really, that's, wow. I would be really scared of a spider lady. Because spiders are already freaky. I mean, I think the pro- the concept of someone, like, transforming into a spider in front of you is just, like, a very grotesque concept. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So when a Jorogumo sees a man that she wants, she lures him into her home, which can be a cave, a forest, or an abandoned house. Wait, okay, don't go into a cave with a strange woman. It definitely seems like a bad idea. I mean, I mean, this might be from like a time when more people like lived in caves because I know that was like. I don't. I don't think anyone lived in caves though. People like it wasn't cave times. People used to live in caves. I don't know. Anyway, but still, they? As, I mean, yeah, it's a solid form of shelter <laughs> when you don't have modern housing. But yes, anyway. Um. Anyway, so <laughs> she would then spin silk threads to keep the man ensnared so that he couldn't escape. And she has venom that weakens her victims slowly, which allows her to draw out and savor her victim's death. Oh my gosh. Which, once again, sounds like a horrifying death. Brutal. And they also have the ability to control other smaller spiders, and they often use fire-breathing spiders to burn down the homes of anyone who tries to stop them. Oh my gosh. Fire-breathing spiders. (laughs) That is... I mean, that sounds horrifying. An incredible thought. Spiders are such, like, gross, creepy insects like no offense to anybody who likes spiders if there are any people like that but they're just gross like imagine like a big spider lady just kills you yeah Sounds like I one mean, of the worst ways to i would die. not be a fan of that also get excited for future scenes in lord of the rings lizzie because oh that's all <laughs> i I'm don't say. want to see spiders killing someone but good to be prepared that's all i'm gonna say me and Zoe watched the first episode. Uh, the first episode the first of movie. Lord of the Rings. Yes, we watched the first movie. It was, it was good. I enjoyed it. It was fun. I'm not looking forward to spiders though. It's okay. It's not till the third movie. Oh, okay. I have some time to prepare. <laughs> anyway, so in the Edo period text, the Tonoigusa, 
which was written in 1660, it tells the story of a youthful warrior who comes across a young woman of about 19 or 20 years of age who has a small child with her. She tells the child that the warrior is, is their father and to go and embrace him. The warrior sees through her ploys and kills her. The next day, he finds a dead Jarogumo in the attic, along with many corpses from her victims. Oh my gosh. There are also regional stories involving Jorogumo. At the Joran Falls in Izu in Japan, there is a local legend about a Jorogumo who is the mistress of the waterfall. There are several stories about people either escaping or succumbing to her. For example, a story about a man who was resting near the waterfall when the Jorogumo threw webs around his leg and tried to draw him into the falls. Oh my gosh, terrifying. Very. The man escapes by transferring the webbing around a tree trunk instead of his leg causing the Jorogumo to drag the tree into the falls instead of him. Wow. Very quick thinking. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be able to react if that happened to me. I mean, yeah. Like, so it's kind of a genius mm-hmm. move. Good, good, good work for him. Yeah. So after this incident, people living around the falls tended to avoid it, but a woodcutter who was visiting the area and didn't know about the legends was cutting down trees mm. near the waterfall when he dropped his axe into the basin. No. He tried to go and retrieve the axe, but a beautiful woman appeared and returned it to him, telling him that he must never tell anyone what he saw. At first, he kept the secret, but he found it hard to keep the story to himself, and he told the story at a banquet while drunk. Hmm. He felt relieved to have the story off his chest and went to sleep that night in peace. But he never woke up. <gasps> Interesting. Spooky. That reminds me of like the some of the fairy stories we had from our... Um fairy queens episode yeah like don't tell anyone yeah it's like you have to die yeah like don't do this thing or you'll die and they're like okay and then they do it and then like something bad happens is like you should have kept your promise man like i mean he did try he was drunk at the time Mm. but yes no i understand but yeah i would be like okay i won't tell anyone and then i would tell someone i mean it also seems like there was whereas he at least tried to keep the secret yeah i mean it also seems like there's some sort of supernatural compulsion going on or something but like Again, it it does remind me of those stories where it's like you do the they just give you one condition and you end up not being able to follow that condition and then something bad happens. Then you're obviously punished. Yeah. So in another legend from the city of Sendai, a man called Genbei meets an eel who appears to him in the shape of a woman. Mm. She tells him that the Jirogumo was going to attack her the next day, but she knows that she isn't powerful enough to face her. So she asks him to help her. Genbei tells her that he will help, but the next day he is so afraid of facing the Jirogumo that he shuts himself inside his house. Hmm. And he doesn't come to her aid. Okay. The eel is killed by the Jirogumo, and Genbei dies of insanity. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty sad. Dying of insanity is also really sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's her. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that's probably the scariest one we've had so far, I gotta say. Like, I know. There's, there's a lot. I mean, that's pretty frightening. Like, I Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, oh my gosh. There's so many aspects to that. That's just, like, not that ideal. That are just scary. Not ideal, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, who's next? So my next lady is the popular urban legend of Hanako-san, who is a spirit of a young girl who haunts the girls' bathrooms at schools. Oh. Yeah kind of fun she's often said to wear a bobbed haircut and a red skirt or dress and her origins vary some say she was murdered by a stranger or a parent in the bathroom other stories say she committed suicide in the toilet 
and others say she was killed Ooh. in an air raid during World War II while playing hide-and-seek in the bathroom. Wow, lots of different variations. Yeah. Also, I find it interesting that her haircut is supposed to be a bob haircut, because yeah. I feel like 95% of women in folklore whose haircuts are marked upon just have long hair. Yeah, I think it's honestly a pretty popular, like, schoolgirl haircut, um, mm-hmm. and I think that really reflects, like, you know, her origins as being a schoolgirl who, a spirit of a schoolgirl mm-hmm. who died tragically, and, like, she's definitely a very modern spirit compared to, like, a lot of the other women we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of games played by brave and daring children throughout Japanese schools to summon her. And so I'm going to tell you well, how I would to not do, do that. Well, I'm going to tell you how to do it so you know how to not do it. Oh, okay. So in order to do so, you must enter the bathroom, which is generally the girl's bathroom on the third floor specifically. You knock three times on the third stall and ask if she is there. If she is there, she will respond by saying, yes, I am. And then those playing the game may see a bloody ghostly hand that grabs them or pulls them into hell through the toilet. Or um, they may also see a three-headed lizard that will eat them, saying that they have invaded Hanako's privacy, which seems a little random, but I, I did find that information. So That's interesting. Yeah. that's She has three-headed lizards doing her bidding. Yeah. She's very powerful, apparently. It's very fun. Yeah. So like I said- she- I feel like if I went to a school, I would just not go into the third stall of the third floor bathroom. Yeah. She's also a very popular spirit in Japanese culture. As I said before, she's been featured in movies, manga, anime, and video games. It's also possible that she is an offshoot of an earlier urban legend called the Akomanto. So Akomanto is a spirit that hides in the bathrooms of elementary schools and is often told about in the story as follows. So there is a student staying late at school to finish work and finds that they have to use the bathroom desperately. They end up in a bathroom that is older and separate from the rest of the school, often avoided by students due to rumors of it being haunted. However, they decide to go there because they are desperate to use the bathroom. So once they are done, they reach over and realize that the bathroom stall has no toilet paper. Then they are confronted by a mysterious voice who asks them, would you like red or blue toilet paper? That's weird. So Lizzie, which which would you choose, red or blue toilet paper? I would choose blue because red is the color of blood. Okay, so if the answer... And thus feels ominous. That is true. So if they answer blue paper, the blood is drained from their body, leaving them blue-faced, or they are strangled to death. Oh. And if they answer red paper, they are stabbed violently to death. Those both sound bad, actually. Yeah, I mean... There's not really a clear choice. There's not a great choice. Um, There are some stories that are like, oh, you can um, say a different toilet paper or something, or... But, like... Like, can I have yellow yeah, or something? Yeah, but it's, it's just not great. Like, this is a pretty rough situation to be in. It really is. Yeah, so although the legends are not super similar, I feel that they're probably related to some extent since they're both based in bathrooms, um, often, like, based in girls' bathrooms, and are pretty scary and end in death, like... It's kind of a rough place to have such a scary legend. Yeah. Like, you're just, like, at school. Yeah. So, speaking of that... The article I read about Akomanto on yokai.com is, suggests that the legend is based on the inherent anxiety of being a student and being asked a question when there are no good answers. So, like... Similar to Kuchisake Ona. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's pretty popular in, like, these scary urban legends to be in a situation where, like, there's no good outcome. Once you've entered the situation, you're already... Served. Yeah, so it's like you're blamed for your bad choice, but all choices were bad. Yeah, like, all the choices were So you were, were really bad. just trapped. Yeah. But also in this situation, like, if you are in school, school is a very, especially if you're in, like, elementary or middle school or high school, if you're in school in general, I just listed all the schools, um, (laughs) 
like it's very scary to be in school and often bathrooms can be like a sort of solace of like you know you go to the take a break you go to the bathroom you know like you can chill there for a moment um but they can also be a place of intense bullying as we've seen in all the like Mm -hmm. early 2000s high school movies and stuff and ultimately i think it really reflects the idea of like you're put in a situation within the school where there's no good way out. You're asked a question and there's no good answer, which is also a very common situation to be put in at school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a classic bully thing. Yeah. And it basically just sort of turns the school into a place of genuine, like life threatening fear and threats, um, which can be the reality for students. And so I think it's really interesting as a legend. It makes me wonder, like, if this has anything to do with, like, allowing girls in school. I mean, I assume that Japan is similar to, like, everywhere else where at first schools were just for boys. I have no idea. (laughs) Like, the fact that it happens specifically in a girl's room and not just any school bathroom. That is also a very interesting aspect. I mean, mean, because then boys are safe from her, but girls aren't. Yeah. I mean, one thing could be that, like, girls' bathrooms traditionally have stalls, and boys' bathrooms don't always have as many stalls. I suppose. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. There's just, like, it's, it's very interesting that it's specifically a girl's, a girl's bathroom. I definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, there are so many jokes about, like, you know, oh, girls going to the bathroom together and stuff. But, like, it's interesting. So it's about safety if there's a Hanako-san. Yeah. Okay, she's just, like, one lady. She's not, like, a type of lady, right? Yeah, I mean, she's, like, one spirit, but supposedly she could exist in, like, any school bathroom in Japan. Or, like, the specifically, like, the girls' bathroom on the third floor. So if you're in a school in Japan and you have a girls' bathroom on the third floor, she could be there. So she's sort of, like, omnipresent. But I think it's less, like, a type of spirit than, like, a specific spirit you can summon so she's like actually pretty similar to bloody mary in a lot of ways but like that's sort of idea. i was thinking of that as well yeah. like i heard of bloody mary stories and i would never try to summon her because i was super scared that like mm-hmm. i that i would just accidentally summon her in front of the mirror you know yeah so i cannot relate to the schoolboys who would try to summon hanako-san i would never do that yeah. i mean i also feel like i don't know i felt a haunted bathroom in school or, like, legends about a haunted bathroom in school is something I experienced pr- relatively often when I was a kid. I don't know if you had that. Oh, yeah. My, my my elementary school was haunted. Really? Supposedly. I mean, I don't know if that was actually true. I just know people would say that. Yeah. And so I think that... But it wasn't a specific... It wasn't, like, a specific thing. It was more like, oh, sometimes the water would start running and nobody was, you know... Ooh, spooky. But yeah, there was like a bathroom when I was in school that was like supposed to be haunted um, in like an elementary school. And I got like super freaked out about it. Um, That's interesting. So yeah, I just think the idea of like a haunted bathroom is like a relatively common idea as well. So Okay, so the next lady is Datsueba, who is an old woman who sits at the edge of the Sanzu River, which is the mythical river that souls have to cross before arriving in the underworld in Japanese Buddhism. Similar to the river Styx in Greek mythology. Indeed. So this is less of an urban legend kind of thing, because this is specific to if you're in the underworld. Mm-hmm. It's the only time when you would ever, like, come across her. But so, before reaching the afterlife, souls have to cross the river in one of three ways, depending on how they lived their lives. Those who have been good cross over a bridge adorned with precious substances. Those whose karmic balance between good and evil is relatively even cross at a ford and those who committed great evil have to wade through serpent infested waters Mm. 
They come to a bank where they then meet Datsueba and her husband, Keneo. And uh, Datsueba strips the person of their clothes and then hands them to Keneo, who hangs them on a tree branch to determine the weight of their offenses. Interesting. If the branch is weighed down significantly, it means the person has sinned greatly, though each of the souls that pass by them have just been in the water, which makes their clothes heavier and the branch sag lower. So, Fascinating. not a good way to win They're there. setting you up to lose. Yeah, although if you were already in the path that says that you have sinned a lot, the path, the path, the evil path, then you probably do actually have some crimes against you. But hmm. anyway, if a soul arrives with no clothes, then Keneo flays their skin and hangs that from the tree instead. Ouch. Once again, skin skin horrors. <laughs> anyway, so Datsueba's name means clothes-stealing old woman, and her husband Keneo's name means clothes-hanging old man. They can also carry out punishments that were befitting of their crimes. For example, if someone was a thief, they would break their fingers. Ouch. Tatsueba also steals the clothing of children who pass by and torments them by telling them to build a pile of stones tall enough that they would be able to climb up to heaven. Then, when the child manages to pile up a few stones, Tatsueba kicks the pile down. Oh my gosh, that's just so mean. Which is, it's really mean, but I feel like it's the better end of the deal because children don't have, like, evil sins to atone for they just have to build a build a stone tower that then gets kicked over i guess i don't know this is weird man <laughs> i know you don't know actually kind of like about her story i feel like uh, you see romance a lot in myth in mythology and stuff but you don't see very much like couples doing like activities together oh you know <laughs> That's so like true. i think it's, i think it's kind of fun i think it's kind of fun that they have this whole like old couple like they're just like kind thing. of these jerky they have a, old people who like, judge you <laughs> just like a mean old couple who hangs your clothes i don't know or flays your skin yeah <laughs> they have they have a couple activity that's important but it seems like their marriage is solid and that's really what's important here yeah they they're partners in life that's kind of nice mm-hmm. i think it's kind of fun <laughs> not for the people who get their skin flayed etc but mm-hmm. i mean it's probably nice to you know, be hanging out with your spouse all day. Yeah. Right? I bet they have a good time. In the underworld? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet it's a great time. Yeah. That's basically Datsueba. That's awesome. Well, I mean, she sounds like a piece of work. And Definitely. so does my next lady, who is also an old woman. Yes, it is. Love a crone. Yamauba, whose name translates mm-hmm. to mountain crone or mountain hag. I love a crone and a hag. Yes. And they are spirits of old women who live in the mountain forests of Japan. They generally look like old women. Some are said to have horns or fangs, but most just like your average old woman. And then there are some stories that say um, she has a mouth on the top of her head hidden under her hair, which is fun and spooky. Interesting. Um, Other stories tell a very different description, which is that a beautiful young woman lures travelers away from their paths. So that's very different. That might be actually more similar to your story yeah yeah Yeah. but anyway um they are said to be the spirits of young women who are exiled from their communities and forced to live in the forest of mountains for the rest of their lives and as time goes on they transform into mountain witches as their souls corrupt which like i think everyone wants that personally for themselves that's kind of nice yeah 
And another possible explanation is that during times of famine or hardship, families would have to make sacrifices if they couldn't feed everyone. So thinking of Hansel and Gretel, they would have to, they would often like basically choose which members of their family to die. Which is horrifying. And often they would choose their elderly. Is that what Sophie's Choice is about? Yeah, she has to make the choice of which child she get like gets to live. It's really terrifying. I've never seen that movie. I had no idea. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I have I have seen it. <laughs> Has Meryl Streep in it? Yeah. Anyways, often Continue. elderly family members would be the ones abandoned because they were old. They'd lived their lives, and in their anger and sadness, they would become yokai in order to survive. So that is a possible origin story for Yamato. Oh, survival technique. Yeah. So, she lives in a hut by the road, and when a traveler comes by, they might offer shelter and food to them. Three Baba Yaga. Yes. When the guests fall asleep, the Yamauba will transform into their true form, which, it's not really clear what that is, but I guess it's pretty monstrous. Um, Mm -hmm, Something scary. Yeah. Trapping and eating their guests. Those who are lucky enough to escape will carry on warnings about Yamauba to future travelers in the area, and also to the children in their lives. Being like, you better be good or Yamauba will come and eat you. You know. Very Hansel and Gretel. Mm-hmm. Also just a very classic kind of urban legend thing. Yeah. Like, for kids, you'll get eaten by like a scary witch lady. Yeah, I mean, it's super Hansel and Gretel in a way. Because it's like, there's an old lady in the woods who's going to act nice to you and she's going to feed you. But then at night, she's going to eat you. And it's also super Baba Yaga as well. Because yeah. she does something similar as well. But who doesn't love Baba Yaga? No Yamauba's kind of fun. Yeah. But anyway... That is her. Um, and yeah, I think she's really fun. I think we should all aspire to be more like Yama Uba. So true. And eat children. Exactly. It's just, you know, she's like one of those legends that are like, you better be good or this lady will come Yama and get Uba you. will kill you. You know, it's one of those one of those types of deals, you know. But it is kind of fun. I feel like as far as scary ladies go. Yeah, I think she's pretty chill. Just be like a fun little old lady living in your house, waiting for people to come and eat, eat them. Yeah. I, I mean, I love a good carnivorous old woman, to be honest. I just think that's such that's a, fun, so true. a fun like type of myth. I think crone ladies are just fun. Yeah. I get a kick out of them. Absolutely. Okay, so my next lady is the Shikome. So Shikome are female yokai that live in Yomi, the Shinto underworld. Oh. So once again underworld story nice so the word shikome means ugly woman that mm. they can also be called yamoto shikome which means ugly woman from hell oh even better which i think is i think it's a really fun name so shikome is a broad term referring to female yokai who look like ugly human women they often have beast-like features such as claws or pointed ears and they also have long black hair sagging misshapen breasts and wide twisted smiles wow and yeah, so they spend a lot of effort in making themselves appear beautiful by applying thick white makeup to their faces and blackening their teeth, which is a common practice in Japan okay. and elsewhere in Asia, and was considered to be very beautiful. Cool. And their their excessive makeup was only serves to highlight their ugliness, apparently. Well, that's really sad. I know. It's kind of one of those, like, ugly women are horrifying beasts kind of thing, which is very mean. They just want to be beautiful, and everyone's mean to I them. I know. Exactly. Like that's sad. What a mean description. Yeah, it's like but oh, anyway. their their makeup just makes them more ugly. Like they're trying. Like yeah, be exactly. nice. Jeez, cut them a break. <sighs> so, shikome are attendants in the underworld. 
They move incredibly fast, able to leap 4,000 kilometers in a single bound. Wow. And they are also ravenous and can devour their prey incredibly quickly as well. Good. Shikome appear in Japanese mythology, where they feature in the story of the god Izanagi. Izanagi and his wife and sister Izanami were creator deities and the parents of other major gods, such as Amaterasu. Mm-hmm. Izanami died while giving birth to the, to the god of fire, Kagutsuchi, and Izanagi mourned for her. He journeyed down to the underworld to save her and found her in a shadowy area where it was pitch black, so he couldn't see her. Interesting. He begged her to return to the land of the living with him, but Izanami told him that she couldn't leave since she had already eaten the food of the underworld. She said that she would ask for permission to visit him and made him promise that he would not bring any light with him into the underworld. Huh. Eventually... Izanagi grew impatient, and he transformed his comb into a light so that he could see in the darkness. He could now see Izanami's body and was horrified with what he saw. Her flesh was rotting, and there were insects and maggots crawling all over her. Mm. Izanagi was horrified and began to run away. Izanami ordered her servants, Nashikome, to catch him. Side note, I feel like you never hear stories about somebody doing what they have been told. Like, you can't provide any light and they're like okay and they don't and then it's fine there are definitely some stories where it's like oh if you do this thing you'll get rewards and then they do it and they get rewards and stuff but like it definitely not as common or not as popular than like the human the human instinct to like do what you're told not to do yeah yeah so continuing the shikome chased him and he was able to hold them off by throwing down his headdress which transformed into a kind of grapes which the shikome then fed on. Hmm. Next, he took his comb and turned the teeth into bamboo shoots, which again succeeded in distracting them as they stopped to eat them. As he approached the entrance of the underworld, he threw three peaches at them, which caused them to retreat, as peaches had evil warding powers. Really? Which I, th- I believe I feel that. Like, didn't we talk about peaches being magical in the Shiromu episode. Yeah, they're like the f- there's a special kind of peach that gets grants immortality that she is the guardian oh, of. Oh, it's a bit different then. Yeah, I mean, they're still like the ones being chosen to be that magical fruit. Peaches are great though. Peaches are really good. I understand. I had some peaches for breakfast. Oh, fun. Anyway, so he then escaped um, by pushing a boulder to block the entrance, thus separating the living world from the underworld and himself from his wife. Wow. I know. In some versions, Izanami screams to Izanagi that if he leaves her, she will kill a thousand residents of the living every day. And he responds that he'll give life to 1,500 people in return. Hmm. And also in some versions, the Shikome aren't specified by a particular number, but in some versions, they are said to be eight. So there's eight Shikome. And in some versions, she's just one figure. Interesting. And that's them. And this story makes me kind of sad because Izanami didn't actually do anything, and yet she became the villain mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't see her as the she villain died. personally, but, you know, I definitely see that in the cultural context, consciousness, she would become the villain. But, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's all like Izanagi fleeing, terrified, it's like and then... She told him not to do it, and he did it, and then has to deal with the consequences. Like That's true. You know. Yeah. But then she says she wants to kill people, but it's only in some versions, I think. I only saw that in one of the versions I saw. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's the Shikome. Mm-hmm. They are a yokai, but they are not one that a regular person would fear, because there's no humans in this story. Yeah. 
Yeah. I do think it's interesting that in a lot of these stories, like the urban legendy type stories, they aren't about people like dying, but rather about people escaping. Like some of them are about people mm-hmm. failing to survive and then dying, but mm-hmm. I feel like several of them were like people who live to tell the tale, you know? Yeah. Which is interesting. So I feel like a lot of like cautionary tales are like, you don't want this to happen to you. Yeah. But a lot of these were like, how do you survive when Amikusui is trying to steal your lantern? Yeah. I mean, I think that ultimately, like, you can't spread a legend without survivors, you know? Like, if everyone who meets Yamu Uba is going to get eaten by her, no one knows she exists because there aren't any survivors. Yeah. You know? I mean, like, maybe at some point people will be like, oh, people going up that mountain road don't really come back. But, like, there's a lot of reasons for that, so... Um, I think that in order to spread a legend, there needs to be survivors. That's so true. Anyway, but, yeah. that's our final yokai. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think these are... I feel like we've just really touched the surface of yokai. and Definitely. I mean, I just think they're such an interesting... Um, I don't really know what to call them. Group of spirits, phenomenon, like, I don't know. But I just think they're really interesting and... Hopefully we'll I talk think so about too. Them more in the future because yeah, I, really like I think we saw some common themes, but also a lot of differences as well. Like mm-hmm. most of them were ur- urban legend type of things, and some of them were more mythological. Yeah, and some of them a little bit more modern. Some of them quite ancient. We definitely just touched the surface. There are many, many yokai, like mm-hmm. an innumerable amount, definitely, but more that you can definitely find information on. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of these stories, and a lot of, like, stories with sort of monstrous creatures in general tend to be, like, heavily moralistic in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, if you don't go up the mountain pass at night, you won't meet Nikusui. And if you don't, like, have sex with strange women, then nothing bad will happen to you, you know, like. But it's also fun when there's no moral and it's just, this lady is scary, mm-hmm. so be scared. Yeah, that too. No call to action, just... Just hope it doesn't happen to you. Yeah. Which I think is in itself its own like sort of moral that the world is chaotic and there's a lot of things to be scared of. And you have no idea what's gonna happen and you just gotta hope for the best for yourself and your loved ones. The world is a scary place. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back in two weeks with another episode. And if you enjoyed this one, please feel free to rate, subscribe, leave a review, tell all your friends. And enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. May the Ladies Podcast is produced, researched, and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix and Sari Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks. <laughs>